You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Hey everyone, I'm thrilled to be here with you today, right here at Mosaic. Although I don't think any of us saw this is how this year at Easter was going to go. Easter, of course, is one of my favorite days of the year at Mosaic. Yours too, I'm sure, if you're a part of our community. And while none of us thought this was how we were going to be celebrating Easter this year, I think... What's more important than how we celebrate it is just simply that we celebrate it. After all, followers of Jesus are around the world for centuries, including today, are celebrating this moment in history in different times, in different ways. And so this is simply how we're celebrating today. And we're going to try to bring together something that we saw and started a whole long time ago. It seems like a lifetime ago uh, where we've been looking at the life of Jesus in the gospel, in the account of the gospel writer Mark. And so far, we've seen that Jesus is the man who acts. We've seen him as the God who heals. We've seen him as the king who suffers. And today we're going to see him in the final scene that Mark shows us in his account. We're going to see Jesus as the one who rises. So let me try to pull it all together, the whole book together today by simply trying to ask and answer one question. And it's this, what do the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus mean? What do the life, death, and resurrection uh, of Jesus mean? And, and I'm going to try to answer that question 
by giving you 10 things, 10 implications of what the resurrection of Jesus means. But I'm going to give them to you in the next 20 minutes. So 10 implications in 20 minutes. And if you're saying, can he do that? The answer is yes, he can. So sit back, strap on that seatbelt, pull that Easter hat on a little tighter. I see you there with that hat on. You look great today, by the way. Or or what's more likely this year, just go ahead and strap on that COVID-19 Easter mask a little tighter and let's get going. Here are 10 implications of what the resurrection, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth means, all from Mark 15 and 16. Here we go. Number one, it means this, that it changes outsiders into insiders. Now, come on, you, you've been to middle school, you've been to high school, some of you may be in middle school or high school now, you know, that there's always the, the cool kids at the cool crowd at the cool lunch table who, who, who bring in some, who exclude others, and that's how cultures work. That's how communities work. There's always winners and losers. There's ones who were excluded on the outside, but who is coming into right here, into the community? of Jesus. Well, first of all, Mark shows us it's the centurion. Uh, He was the one who was there. The Roman centurion was there to ensure that Jesus was actually dead. He's the one who likely probably pierced the side of Jesus with the, with the spear and centurions. They, they weren't enlisted men. Uh, Centurions were ones who had worked their way up through the ranks, through violence, through destruction, through death. And so here we see the centurion, what's happening to him? What's happening to him as he hears the the cry of Jesus, as he sees Jesus die? Oh, he's being pulled into the heart of Christ himself. He says, truly, this was the son of God. And then who do we meet next in the community of Jesus? Well, Mark shows us here on purpose, the women who were following Jesus. And you may know that that women in that day, they were highly looked down upon, especially uh, by Roman culture to the point that their testimony was inadmissible in a court of law. And yet, who does Mark point to as giving testimony that Jesus had risen? It's the women. And if you were making up a story, this would be like the worst thing you could possibly do. This could only hurt your chances of your story catching on. And as a matter of fact, there was a there was an early uh, Roman sort of Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris type skeptic of Christianity. He was a popular Roman writer at the time. His, his name was Celsus. And he said, here is one of the, the main reasons why you should not believe the Christian faith. He said this. He said, you shouldn't believe Christianity because so many women believe it. And here's why. He said, because we all know that women are hysterical. Women are hysterical. And of course, all the Roman culture, that is the Roman men, all said, yeah, well, you know, he's got a point. That's how their world worked. For the Jews, the centurions, the pagans, the Romans were the outsiders. For the Romans, the women were the outsiders. And yet look at what the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus do here. They are making insiders of outsiders, the pagans, and the women are coming in first. The resurrection means, number one, outsiders become insiders. But number two, it also, ironically, it changes insiders into outsiders. Insiders and outsiders here is what I mean. Look at someone here named Joseph. Who was Joseph? Look at verse 43. It says, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, why does it say that he took courage? Well, it just told you. It's because he 
was a respected member of the council. That is, he was a high-ranking Jewish congressman, Supreme Court kind of justice of sorts. In other words, by associating with Jesus publicly, Joseph only has everything to lose. He only has his future reputation and standing in the community to lose. He's already part of the inner ring of his culture. And yet look at him here, taking courage, throwing away his insider status, his reputation, his tenure to become an outsider for Christ. What about you? What about me? Why would we do this? It's because if the resurrection is true, and it is, that those on the inside will risk themselves for those on the outside. Those with status risk themselves for those who have none. That's number two. Number three, the resurrection means that it can create the kind of world that we all want. You know, in our world now, we still fight out gender wars. We still fight gender wars. Men bad, you know, women good, or men trusted, women suspicious. But look here, when Joseph of Arimathea, when he's given Jesus his body, he takes it and places it in a tomb. Who's there? All the gospel accounts tell us that the women were there again as well with Joseph. What's happening? It's both men and women there in this moment, both ministering together to the body of Christ. And do you know where this is taking place? Well, it's not just at a tomb over in John's gospel. It tells us that there was a garden there by the tomb as well. Men and women together in a garden, loving God together. Does this this remind you of anything? (laughs) It should. This is a snapshot of Eden, Eden all over again. This is showing us that the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus came to bring us, came to recreate life by life, moment by moment, choice by choice, the world that we all want and that one day will together, will all receive back. Number four, the resurrection of Jesus shows us that the biggest failures can become the greatest leaders. What does the angel at the tomb tell the women to tell the disciples? Uh, The angel gives them a message from Jesus. It says this, go tell Peter to meet Jesus in Galilee. Why is Peter singled out? Well, Peter singularly blew it. Peter singularly uh, blew his life up, threw his life away and away. He had gone back to his old life. And yet, what is the first thing on the mind of the resurrected Jesus? The first thing we're seeing, he's thinking is this, whose life can I redeem first? Whose life can I fix first? In whose life can I prove that grace triumphs over karma? Whose life can I put at the center, I don't know, of my whole movement that'll one day change the world? Hmm, not the achiever, but the failure. And that's what happened. That's who made it in. See, the resurrection shows us that the biggest failures can become the greatest leaders. No life is beyond repair, including yours today. Number five, The resurrection, life, death, resurrection of Jesus challenges our minds, challenges our minds. When the angel tells these women, see the place where they laid him, he's challenging their worldview. How? (laughs) Well, think about it. Why are the women there? They're not there to see the risen Jesus. They've come to anoint his dead body according to Jewish custom. That's why they're carrying those spices. Why are they there with the spices? It's because they saw Jesus die. And why aren't the men there? 
the men aren't there because they saw Jesus die. Because no one who was crucified by the Romans and dead for three days ever comes back to life. Here's my point. It's easy to read these accounts and be guilty of what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery, that is, it's easy to think. It's easy to read these passages and think, well, you know, those earlier cultures and peoples, they were sort of superstitious. They didn't have science like we have. They were sort of stupid, prone to believing anything. But we live today and we know better. Basically, we believe today because we lived after them, we're smarter. You know, by that definition, of course, that means you are smarter than Einstein. Yeah. But no one was at the tomb here. Why not? Well, didn't Jesus, you know, repeatedly predict that he would die, then rise again? He did. So why weren't they there? Like, you know, counting down like five, here he comes, you know, four, come here, kids, put those Easter baskets down. Three, Uncle Sal, you got the camera. Two, you know, mom, mercy, potato salad. One, here he comes. Yay. We knew it all along. No, that didn't happen. Why? Because they saw Jesus die and no one expected him to rise. The women are only there with burial spices. The men aren't there at all. And besides that, the Jews didn't even believe in resurrection. So when the angel says, see the place where they laid him, why is he saying that? Why? It's because Jesus isn't there. And therefore, because of that, every one of these women and these disciples, in the end, they gave their lives for Jesus. Why? Here's why. It wasn't because of something they believed. It was better than that. It was because of something they saw. They allowed the evidence to challenge, to change their worldview and their mind. What about you? What about me today? Number six, the resurrection <laughs> reframes our purpose. It reframes our purpose. To those very first ones there, the, the angel doesn't say this. He doesn't say, hey, y'all, stay and linger. Soak in my angelic presence indefinitely. No, he says what? Go. Why? Because to follow Jesus means you have a mission. And if you're new to Mosaic, you should know that we, we have a mission here as well. We have a mission to help people follow Jesus through the values of worship, of community, of mission in a multi-ethnic and multi-generational context. And right now, watching this all over the city and perhaps elsewhere are, are black, white, Latino, Latina, Asian, Indian, biracial people of all kinds, rich and poor, all watching together. If we were, if we were in this facility right Right now, today, you would look around and you would see doctors, lawyers, educated, not so much homeless, those struggling with addiction, with their sexuality, uh, all here in one place, but all focused on going, on being on mission with Jesus. Hispanic-American theologian Eldon Viafanie put it like this, quote, the world looks at the church and wants to see in our lives the marks of the cross, not the search for comfort, prestige, power. Or fame. And I couldn't agree more. Why? Because if the resurrection is true, and it is, it reframes our purpose for living. We've been called to go. Number seven, the resurrection means that we can conquer fear. The resurrection conquers fear because what else does the angel say? I love this. It says, he says, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Why not? Why don't we have to be afraid? Here's why. It's because when we see the place, when we see the empty tomb, 
it conquers fear. You may know the name Johnny Erickson Tata. She's a, she's a writer. She's a speaker. She's also a quadriplegic, having been paralyzed from the neck down at the age of 17 in a diving accident. And as a, as a Christian person from a mainline denomination, when she was able to go back to church after her accident, she, she went in a wheelchair and she said that she struggled every week when the minister would instruct and invite the congregation to kneel. And to pray because she couldn't do that. She couldn't go down on her knees. And in one week, she said, when everyone was asked to kneel, she began to weep. She began to cry, but she said it wasn't out of self-pity. She said, no, it was out of beauty as she saw the congregation kneeling together. And she said this quote, sitting there, I was reminded that in heaven, I will be free to jump up, dance, kick, and do aerobics. And sometime before the guests are called to the banquet table at the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop on grateful, glorified knees. I will quietly kneel at the feet of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So beautiful. And she goes on to say this, I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope that the resurrection gives someone who is spinal cord injured like me? Friends, let me tell you, no matter what happens to you, happens to your body in life, happens to your body this year, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be alarmed. The resurrection proves there is life after this life. And if Jesus' is torn, beaten, nailed, and shamed body can come back more powerful and glorious than it was, <clears throat> imagine what the life to come will do for yours. And by the way, we'll look at that and what life after life will look like starting next week. We'll help you come back for our series, What's After ATX? Because the resurrection conquers fear. <clears throat> Number eight. Number eight, the resurrection mandates forgiveness. When the angel tells the women, go and tell his disciples and Peter to meet him in Galilee. What's Jesus doing through that message? He's offering them forgiveness, offering them forgiveness. They who had abandoned him, they who had left him, they who had betrayed him in his hour of need, they, the ones that he had served, now they were being forgiven. Welcome back. See, grudges, bitternesses, lifetime of unforgiveness is out. Forgiveness, forgiveness is in. Why? Because if the resurrection is true, and it is, that's what it means. Number nine, the resurrection makes us ask a question. And it's the same question those women were asked on the way. Actually, they asked on the way to what they thought was a lifeless, hopeless situation. Here's the question they asked. Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? You today, our country today, you know this. We face a similar question, don't we? Who will roll the stone away? Who can let life in? What can meet us here in the middle of our tears? Listen, I want to tell you that in the end, only the supernatural touch of Almighty God can and will. Look at what Frederick Buechner uh, said. He was a, a Christian writer and thinker, philosopher. He said, quote, you never know what may cause tears. 
the sight of the Atlantic Ocean can do it, or a piece of music, or a face you've never seen before, a pair of somebody's shoes can do it, a horse cantering across the meadow, the high school basketball team running out onto the gym floor at the start of the game, you can never be sure. But of this you can be sure. Whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, it is well to pay the closest attention. They're not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, but more often than not, God is speaking to you through them, the mystery of where you have come from, and is summoning you to where, if your soul is to be saved, you should go next. Are there tears in your eyes today? There were for these women. Who will roll away the stone? Who can meet us in our pain? Who can meet us in our tears? Let me tell you, God can and God does if you'll let them a day. Your tears can force you into asking the same question. Who can meet me here? Who can save me here? Who can rescue us here? I tell you, God can because God did. And number 10, and here we are. Number 10, the resurrection means the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that happy endings are the truest story. Truest story. True confessions here for some of you. I like dystopian movies. I do. My wife doesn't like it. She hates them. But, and maybe you like these. Maybe you don't. And, and some of you, you like tear jerkers where everybody dies in the end. And maybe you do and, and maybe you don't. But why? Why do people who like sad movies, dystopian movies, sometimes even dark or violent movies, why do people like those? What do they usually say about them? They usually say something like this. Those movies are just keeping it real. They're just keeping it real, just being honest. Those kind of movies are true to life. They express what life is really like. And you know what? They're right. They're right. Dark, depressing, sad, horrible movies are true to life because Dark, sad, depressing, horrible things happen in life. But here's the thing. What I want to tell you today is those kind of stories, those kind of movies are not true in the most crucial way of all. They may be true to life, but they aren't true to the life that is to come. They may be true, oh, but they're not true to the life that is to come. J.R.R. Tolkien Put it like this in an article he wrote. He said, quote, the joy of the happy ending is not essentially escapist or fugitive. It, it, it does not deny the existence of discatastrophe, of sorrow and failure. The possibility of these is necessary to the joy of deliverance. Though the happy ending denies universal final defeat and ensores evangelium. That is the good news, giving a fleeting glimpse of joy, joy beyond the walls of this world, poignant as grief. And when the sudden turn comes, we get a piercing glimpse of joy and heart's desire that for a moment passes outside the frame, rends indeed the very web of story and lets a gleam come through. Yeah, so let me tell you, he's right because what's true to life is death. What's true to life is sickness, is sorrow, is disease, is suffering. That is true to life. But what's most true, what's true to the life that is to come, 
It's true love's kiss that awakens the sleeping princess, the sleeping person. What's true to life, the life to come is the defeat of the armies of evil and the overthrow of the powers of darkness. What's true to the life that is to come are the lovers who come together and live happily ever after. Because what, after all, do the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean? Let me tell you, they either mean all of that or they mean nothing. And so today, my hope for you and my heart for you is that you would allow the happy ending of the resurrection to reframe your story, to mess with your story, to open up your story to new possibilities. And that above all, the story of Jesus, the one who rises, would allow a gleam from heaven to pass into you, would allow the gleam of a life that began in a manger, appeared extinguished in a tomb, but reignited by the word of the very one who brought the cosmos into being at the beginning, that the passing of that gleam into you, into your life, into your heart and home today would begin a new story, one that really would have a happy ending. Where? O oh, death is your sting, the scripture asks. Where, O oh, grave, is your victory? Oh, the grave was true, but the grave couldn't last because it wasn't true to the life that is to come. And for this, people of God, we rejoice. I hope you'll say amen with me. Let me pray, and then we're gonna sing and rejoice with one more song. God, we thank you today for this truth, that happy endings are the truest endings of all. The resurrection shows us that, that death is swallowed up in life. Defeat is swallowed up in victory. And though we may be by ourselves in solitude and homes today, we thank you that in the end, that victory and life and the resurrection of Jesus swallows up death. That's where our story is going. That's where our story is heading. And for this, God, we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.